This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Hello and welcome to the third programme in our education series, Novels, Plays and School Days, funded under the BAI Sound and Vision Scheme. So today we're looking at the Leave Insert English Syllabus and the play The Plough and the Stars, which is very poignant in the year 2016. I'm delighted to have the students from Clear Adult Education Centre here today and their teacher, Geraldine Finlay. Hi, Geraldine, and welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, Debbie. We're, We're very happy to be here. Okay, and before we meet the students, maybe you could tell me a little bit about CLEAR and uh, the the class that we have here in studio, the English class that we have. CLEAR is a community-based adult education centre offering a very broad range of courses, general education, health, languages, culture, social and community education. We're, We're very unusual in the sense that we are now offering and have been for a number of years a, a single subject Leaving Cert option. The trend seems to be lately that adults have to do full time education with the idea of going back into the, jo- the workforce. We offer the opportunity for adults to relax and enjoy, in this case, English, language and literature on a part time basis, six hours a week. And I think the pressure, I don't know if the students would agree with me, but there's less pressure in that way. Okay, so maybe if we meet the students that are here in studio with us today, if everyone, if we could just go around the desk and everyone just introduce themselves and give your name. Pat Nolan. Hi, I'm Bernie Deacon. Hello, I'm Alice O'Brien. I'm Tess Cadlan. Hi, I'm Martina Byrne. Okay, and you're all very welcome to the studio. Uh, so I hope you enjoy your time here today. Getting straight into the into the play itself. So the play you're doing is The Plough and the Stars. Um, maybe Geraldine, if you just give a very, very quick, just brief introduction to the play and the kind of historical setting of the play. This is a play by uh, Irish writer Sean O'Casey, first performed in the Abbey Theatre 1926, which you think of the date, as Debbie said, not The Plough and the Stars is based in 1916. And this was performed 10 years later. It's a tragic comedy, which sounds almost a contradiction in terms. O'Casey was very much of uh, the inner city, reared in Dorset Street, and he was writing about real life for the people of Dublin. Um, The myth that 1916 has become is is in stark contrast to O'Casey's view that 1916 was perhaps a miscarriage rather than a birth of a nation. And he wants to show how the the uh, the rising affected the people living in the, in the local areas around O'Connell Street, the GPO. OK, and one of the things about O'Casey's plays, and particularly this, is the language, the language of the play. And I think this um, excerpt just kind of indicates the language and how complicated it is, but also how funny it is. So we're going to listen to an excerpt where Bessie and Mrs Gogan have a fight in the bar. There's only one war worth having. And the war for the economic emancipation of the proletariat. They may crow away out of them, but it should be fitter for some of them to mend their ways and cease from having scouts out watching for the coming of the St. Vincent de Paul man, for fear they'd be nailed, lord in a pint of beer, mocking the man with an angel face, shining with the glamour of deceit and lies. And a certain lassie standing stiff behind her own door with her ears cocked, listening to what's been said, stuffed till she's strained with envy of a neighbour trying for a few little things that maybe got be hard striving to keep up to the letter of the law and the practices of the church. If I was you, Mrs Gorgon, 
I'd parry her jabbing remarks be a powerful silence that'll keep her tantalising words from penetrating into the feelings. It's always better to leave these people to the vengeance of God. Bessie Borges doesn't put up to know much, never having a swaggering mind, thanks be to God, but going on packing up knowledge according to her conscience. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But, thanks be to Christ, she knows when she was got, where she was got and how she was got, while there's some she knows decorating their finger with a well-polished wedding ring would be hard put to it if they were asked to show their wedding lines. You old rip of a blasted liar! Me wedding ring's been well earned be twenty years be the side of me husband, now taking his rest in heaven, married to me be Father Dempsey in the chapel of St. Jude's in the Christmas week of 1895. And any kid, living or dead, that Jeannie Gogan's had since was got between the borders of the Ten Commandments. And that's more than some of you can say that are kept from the dreads of destruction be a few drowsy virtues. What do we think of hearing that scene and the language in it? I love the use of the words. I mean, the women are trying to outwit each other, you know, talking about some lassie and a certain person and the language. But I mean, surely these are women who know each other really well and they've lived on top of one another. So they can fight like family in a way. Yeah. In in very sort of funny but very cutting ways. Yeah, the way you would to a family member because they live in such a close proximity. Yeah. That it's like a family row and it can go on and on and they can say what they like. They're all in the tenements together and there's that idea of them living on top of one another. Everyday banter in in a close environment like that. Yeah. Even living in today's inner city today will be the same as that. I have lived in an inner city. Yeah. I I was there in a tenement building in Townsend Street. Yeah. And where that banter went on all the time. Anybody coming in that didn't know the place would be embarrassed for life. Yeah. They, every, they'd run out. They actually wouldn't stay for tea. They'd be gone. <laughs> yeah, and they could row yeah. amongst themselves and say terrible things to each yeah. other. But if a stranger came in and got involved, they'd be... Gone. Yeah. yeah they'd, be, they'd be murder. Yeah, we see that a little bit later when the posh woman yeah, comes in amongst minds. them and she kind of yeah. sticks out like yeah. a, a sore thumb. And what about the women in the pub? Because that wouldn't have been... That was unheard of years ago. Yeah. It wouldn't be accepted. There was a snug, they'd have a snug and the women would drink in the snug. Uh, women done one thing, men done another and they didn't intrude on each other's territory. Right, yeah. Um, a woman was expected to do all the main things. The domestic All the domestic, all the shopping, all the carrying, everything else. Mm. A man wouldn't. And what about the men being very sort of fired up by the political side of it and very idealistic and patriotic and... I think they believed in what they they, uh, they heard and um, that, that was the, the, the year that it was. Um, yeah, it's kind of... Th- I, th- I think the, the words of Pierce are actually the words of Pierce. That's what he said. When you listen to them, they sound quite extreme, don't they? Or did you think that... Atrocious. Yeah. Blood sacrifice and... Ireland is better than your wife and than your mother. Yeah. It's yeah. a real male macho thing to say, wasn't it really, for those days? That's the way they spoke. Yeah. That, that was to draw the men in to to get them to join the, the army, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. 
and the whole idea of war as something glorious. Glorious, yeah. yeah. And then that's contrasted with the women throughout the play, yeah. really, isn't it? The last 16 months have been the most glorious in the history of Europe. Heroism has come back to the earth. War is a terrible thing, but war is not an evil thing. People in Ireland dread war because they do not know it. Ireland has not known the exhilaration of war for over a hundred years. When war comes to Ireland, she must welcome it as she would welcome the angel of God. I'm going to take a question from a paper a couple of years back and uh, it's from the 2011 uh, and it's from the standalone question. And the question they asked was going to the very start of the play when Jack leaves Nora. And it says, do you think that Jack was right to leave Nora and to join Captain Brennan at the end of Act One and give a reason for your answer? Yeah, well, he was um, he was wrong and he was right, if you know what I mean. By her, she was still at the honeymoon phase of her, you know, life. And she just wanted Jack all to herself. You know what mm. I mean? So when Jack went off to the army, he just done it for his own, the glory of it. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. So um, for those days, he would have happened to, you know, be in the army anyway. He's a very vain man. Yeah, he was very vain. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it was kind of a selfish act yeah. of his. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or do, does everyone agree with that or do? Yeah, she could yeah, it. Yeah. It was uniform he wanted and that, that he got a uh, promotion, his commandant. Yeah. And that spoke he could uh, give you authority and everything else. And as a young man in it, he was walking beside Pierce and Conley and all the rest of them. He felt proud and yeah. everybody could see him. Yeah. yeah. He liked yeah. the title. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 And, and how he finally ends up because he's killed yeah. in the play. Then what's the, the play or what's the writer trying to say? Him joining the army changed the whole course of their lives. Yeah. yeah. Like Nora loses her baby, loses her mind, loses her husband. Yeah. Just. It was kind of his, his vanity yeah, and his, glory. Yeah. 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 Changes their, both their lives. Yeah. I, I think we're back to O'Casey trying to show reality rather than idealism and the, the yeah. results of idealism that the men suffered. But yeah. everyone suffered, the women and the men. Um, O'Casey's own view would not be that of the volunteers I don't think he'd be more the Covey even though the Covey is not particularly an attractive character yeah. that he would be looking at the, the, the role and the conditions of the working class mm. We can actually take a listen to that excerpt of Nora and Jack in the first scene so if you want to put on your headphones and this is from scene one Nora and Jack How quiet the house is now They must be all out I suppose so I'm longing to show you my new hat to see what you think of it. Would you like to see it? Ah, I don't mind. Well, how does Mr Clitterow like me new hat? It suits you, Nora. It does right enough. Here, sit down and don't let me hear another cross word at you for the rest of the night. Little, little red-lipped Nora. Jack? Well? You haven't sung me a song since our honeymoon. Sing me one now, do. Please, Jack. What song? Since Maggie went away? Ah, no, Jack. Not that. It's too sad. Um, when you said you loved me. The violets were scenting the woods, Nora. 
displaying their charm to the bee. When I first said I loved only you, Nora, and you said you loved only me. I wonder who that can be now. Take no notice of it, Jack. They'll go away in a minute. Commandant Clitheroe! Commandant Clitheroe! Are you there? A message from General Jim Connolly. Damn, it's Captain Brennan. Don't mind him. Don't mind Jack. Don't break our happiness. Pretend we're not in. Let us forget everything tonight but our two selves. Don't be alarmed, darling. I'll just see what he wants and send him about his business. No. No. Please, Jack, don't open it. Please, for your own little Nora's sake. Now don't be silly, Nora. A dispatch from General Connolly. Commandant Clitterow is to take command of the 8th Battalion of the ICA, which will assemble to proceed to the meeting at 9 o'clock. He is to see that all units are provided with full equipment, two days' rations and 50 rounds of ammunition. At 2 o'clock a.m., the army will leave Liberty Hall for a reconnaissance attack on Dublin Castle. Commandant General Connolly, I don't understand this. Why does General Connolly call me Commandant? Staff appointed your commandant, and the general agreed with their selection. When did this happen? Fortnight ago. How is it word was never sent to me? Word was sent to you. I myself brought it. Who did you give it to then? I think I gave it to Mrs. Clitheroe there. Nora, do you hear that? Nora, Captain Brennan says he brought a letter to me from General Connolly, and that he gave it to you. Where is it? What did you do with it? Jack, please, Jack, don't go out tonight and I'll tell you. I'll explain everything. Send him away and stay with your own little red-lipped Nora. None of this nonsense now. I want to know what you did with the letter. Why didn't you give me the letter? What did you do with it? What did you do with the letter? I burned it. I burned it. That's what I did with it. Is General Connolly and the Citizens' Army going to be your only care? Is your home going to be the only place to rest in? Am I going to be only something to provide merrymaking at night for you? Your vanity will be the ruin of you and me yet. That's what's moving you, because they made an officer of you. You'll make a glorious cause of what you're doing, while your little red-lipped Nora can go on sitting here, making companion of the loneliness of the night. You burned it, did you? Well, me good lady. Let go, you're hurting me! You deserve to be hurt. Any letter that comes to me... For the future, take care that I get it. Do you hear? Take care that I get it. You needn't wait up for me. If I'm in at all, it won't be before six in the morning. I don't care if you never come back. Come along, Ned. So That was an excerpt from uh, scene one of The Plough and the Stars with Nora and Jack. What do people think of Nora's character in the play? Do people like her? Or she's a bit kind of well-to-do, isn't she? She's trying to, to get a, a step trying up. Trying to get or, ahead. Mm. Yeah. Trying yeah. to do her best in life, I suppose. And do you think that's uh, kind of shown in a positive light in the play or is she shown in a negative light? Or? By the neighbours, it's negative. negative. Mm. They're like Bessie attacks her when she sees her getting the lock because she wants, wants to keep everything, you know, inside her two bedroom flat yeah. that she lives in she wants to keep 
you know, she doesn't like the nosy gossip neighbours yeah. around. And that goes back so, to what you were saying, Pat, about the, the lock, because it yeah. doesn't seem like a big thing. No. But in the tenements, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one, the character of Malzer, she kind of looks up to her, though, doesn't she? She kind of goes, I'd love to have yeah. this. And she's the only character that's younger than Nora, I think, yeah. in it, isn't she? Yeah, and she sits with her after the argument with um, Jack and they're sitting down on the steps and she's trying to comfort Nora. Yeah. You know, so they were friends. And she's the only one that talks sense. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because when she's... Just... anyone with a titter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. And the way she describes the, the scene and that speech she gives about seeing the guy dying on the streets and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the most powerful pieces of the play and he gives that to Nora. Can't help thinking every shot fired will be fired at Jack and every shot fired at Jack will be fired at me. What do I care for the others? I can think only of my own self and there's no woman gives a son or husband to be killed. If they say it, they're lying. Lying against God. Nature and against themselves. One blasted hussy at a barricade told me to go home and not be trying to dishearten the men. That I wasn't worthy to bear a son to a man that was out fighting for freedom. I clawed at her and smashed her in the face till we were separated. I was pushed down the street and I cursed them. Cursed the rebel ruffians and volunteers that had dragged me raving mad into the streets to seek me husband. Ah, you'll have to be patient, Nora. We all have to put up with tortoises and tormentors in this world. If they were fighting for anything worthwhile, I wouldn't mind. Oh, I know that wherever he is, he's thinking of wanting to be with me. I know his longing to be passing his hands through my hair, to be caressing me neck, to fondle me hand and to feel me kisses clinging to his mouth. And he stands where he is because he's brave? No, but because he's a coward. A coward. A coward. Oh, they're not cowards anyway. I tell you, they're afraid to say they're afraid. Oh, I saw it. I saw it, Mrs. Gogan. At the barricade in North King Street, I saw fear glowing in all their eyes. And in the middle of the street was something huddled up in a horrible tangled heap. His face was jammed against the stones and his arm was twisted around his back. And every twist of his body was a cry against the terrible thing that had happened to him. And I saw they were afraid to look at it. Okay, so what we were just talking about, Nora there. Um, So, Geraldine, just from your point of view, if people are looking at answering these questions, you know, what kind of takes them into a higher mark? How many points should they be making in terms of, say that question we just did there, you know, do you think it was... I I think one way is to look at the words of the question and to use sort of keywords from the question to start off. But if you're talking about how many points, don't forget, you you don't have to come down definitely on one side. You can say, well, on the one hand, Mm. Jack, uh, 1916, and don't forget, it's 100 years ago. So the mindset was very different then. Jack was, was being patriotic. It was the right thing at the time. The men, Bernie has said this already, the men were joining the citizen army and the volunteers. So you say that. But then you do my favourite word, you say however. And then you can look at it from Nora's point of view and it'll give you a slightly more balanced answer. You don't have to come down and say yes, he was right or no, she she was right. You could see it from both sides. And in a way, you're talking to the examiner and reasoning out. And we're 100 years later trying to figure out how the, why these people behaved as they as they did. As a single text, know your characters, know the background, know the, the social setting. I mean, 100 years ago, the whole life, not just lifestyle was different, but mindset was different. 
in Ireland, the, the lockout wasn't that long before 1913. World War One was going on. It was very different. If you're doing it as a, as a comparative text, have an arsenal of comparative language at your at your side. That something is more or less, that something is the same or different or to an extent. And you're building up your language to compare what are usually two very different texts. And at the end of the day, to come back to the plan of the stars, remembering it's a play, it was written as entertainment, but a very dicey thing that O'Casey did to put it on in 1926 when yeah. people had the experience of the executions, when the view of 1916 had changed utterly. Let's look at the comparative study then as well, some of the questions from the comparative study. And you've kind of mentioned it a little bit there, Geraldine, in terms of the historical setting. So from the 2013 Ordinary Level paper, it asks, choose one text that you've studied and explain with reference to at least one aspect um, of the social setting of the text, why you would or would not like to live in that world. So in other words, the plough on the stars. Um, would you like to live in that world? And um, if you do, why? What aspect of it? And if you didn't, um, what aspect of it would make you have that opinion? And as Geraldine just said, you can maybe do both and say, I would because of this. I wouldn't because of this. So just opening that out that to everybody, you know, is the social setting of the plough and the stars. Would you like to have lived in that time? And we're all women here. So I'm looking at all the women <laughs> saying maybe um, from a women's point of view, it might be saying, would you have liked to live in that time? So. No, because I think women, there was nothing much for women then in those days. Mm. Um, it was poor. They were very poor. Yeah, they were, they were very poor. Hard work. And there was nothing going for them. They, had, they were just like the, the, in the house. They ran the domestic chores and they were always in the background. Men had it every way, both ways, mm. really. And if you look at the character of Miss, uh, Mrs. Gogan as well, I mean, she's probably kind of a middle-aged woman and she's still having babies. Well, because yeah. there was no contraception, so you just That's kept it. having babies, yes. wasn't it? And everyone, yeah, had large families. Mm. And then the, the overcrowding, I wouldn't like that either because you're in these big tenement houses and there's no heating, it's freezing. There's no, um, everybody knows everybody's business. So you really have no space mm. for yourself. And in terms of uh, just that question again, it, it asks you how the social setting had an effect on, on one person in the play, The Plough and the Stars. Uh, one of the people, um, she's, only a, she's not a huge character in the play, but, but the character of Rosie, obviously. Um, we'll take another listen to an excerpt from that scene. Um, it's, uh, it's from Act Two and um, it's when Rosie is in the bar with the men and when she's kind of flirting with the Covey. Two more, please. Freedom. What's the use of freedom if it's not economic freedom? I used them very wards just before you came in. A lot of tricksters, says I, that wouldn't know what freedom was if they got it from their mother. Didn't I, Tommy? I disremember. No, you don't disremember. Remember you said yourself it was all only a flash in the pan. Well, flash in the pan are no flash in the pan, says I. They're not going to get rosy Redmond, says I, to fight for freedom that wouldn't be worth winning in a raffle. There's only one freedom for the working man. Control of the means of production, rates of exchange and the means of distribution. Look here, comrade. I'll leave here tomorrow night for you a copy of Janerski's thesis on the origin, development and 
consolidation of the evolutionary idea of the proletariat. If you ask Rosie, it's heartbreaking to see a young fella thinking of anything or admiring anything but silk transparent stockings showing off the shape of a little lassie's legs. Out in the park in the shade of a warm, summery evening with your little darling bridie to be kissing and a cuddling, kissing and a cuddling, I. Hey, what are you doing? None of that now. None of that. I've something else to do besides shenanigan after Judy's. Oh, little ducky. Oh, shy little ducky. Never held a moth's hand and would know how to tickle a little Judy. Tickle him under the chin. Tickle him under the chin. I go on now. I don't want to have any meddling with a lassie like you. Jesus, it's in a monastery some of us ought to be spending our holidays. Kneeling on our adorers, telling our beads and knocking hell out of our bosoms. So, what do people think of Rosie's character in, in that scene? I thought that Covey, he was all talk, but he was absolutely terrified of Rosie. He <laughs> couldn't get out fast enough. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sends up all his, you know, the proletariat and the economic independence, and it's all so serious. Whereas she kind of subverts that, doesn't she, with what she's saying? You might know all about this, but you don't know, you know, yeah. how to woo a woman. Yeah. yeah, he hasn't got those skills. Yeah. Because he was so into himself you know the way he's a real know-all he has to know everything yeah and I I suppose Rosie is is the only one who's kind of earning her own money in terms of the women isn't she because she's the prostitute to earn you know her her yeah, three pounds, three pounds, ten shillings. I suppose. shillings. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, before she got food on the table, or you know, she said if she could save a few bob, she could get a finer outfit, and yeah, business would be better. Yeah, and I suppose Rosie is also a comic character. We're talking about comic characters, and another comic character would be Uncle Peter. What should you be saying about Joe Casey and his use of comedy in the play? Well, I think it's it's such a tragic story that the comedy kind of lightens it and in some ways it highlights the tragedy yeah and also the fact that I mean we all know it at moments of awful tragedy or at funerals or whatever people do laugh people need comedy you need that break you know when there's it's so you know you're in that environment people we were talking about that in class one day at funerals sometimes you have the best laughs yeah. you know and it's and, and so. life is like that I mean yeah. life is not just tragic there are always some kind of yeah. comic elements in it uh, the ironic thing is that O'Casey's beliefs would probably be closest to the Covey and he's probably the most unattractive character in the play yeah mm. obnoxious yeah he's you know yeah. not particularly attractive at all and O'Casey mm. had all that socialism yeah. and all that belief of the proletariat and the rest one of the questions from the 2011 Ordinary Level paper asks you to look at um, a difficult relationship. So we just spoke about Peter and the Covey then. And it also asks you to look at a relationship that changed. In the, Can anyone think of relationships that changed throughout the play between... Bessie and Nora. OK, and maybe just explain how that, how that changed, like what happened in the play. There. Well, Bessie at the start was ridiculing her for trying to do her best and trying to make her place nice and um, about her husband and just in general. Mm-hmm. And then right at the end, 
she minds her and she ends up nearly being her mammy. She yeah. risks her life. She risks, mm. yeah. yeah. She loses her life. Yeah. yeah. But she went out into yeah. the war, you know. And a few things she did for She went out looking for the yeah. doctor as well. I mean, she's kind of a, an odd, but she's a double-edged character really, isn't she? Yeah. Do you think she's a heroine? In the novel, or yes, you yeah. do, oh, yeah. 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 And I, I, I thought that scene. We'll have a listen to it now in a minute. In the final scene, where she gets shot, and up until oh, yeah. then, she's been, you know, really looking after. But the fact yeah. that she goes, "Yeah, old bitch," yeah, when she, she I mean, it's very realistic. Yeah, because like he did, and I think that character is very good that he keeps the character Absolutely. the yeah. same. She, she, she yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's not a saint, and no one's a saint. The irony that she's the one who supported the British, yes, and being shot by the British, yeah. Which again care. is O'Casey okay, saying, look, look at the mess 1916 was. Yeah. Jack! Jack! My baby! My baby! My baby! You devil! Are you after getting out of bed again? Jack! Jack! For God's sake, come to me! Get away! Get away! Get away from that window! Get away from that window there! Come away, woman, from that window! Where is it? Where have you hidden it? Oh, Jack! Jack! Where are you? Mrs. Clitheroe, for God's sake, come away! I won't! He's below! Let. Me. Go! You're trying to keep me from me husband! I'll follow him! Jack! Jack, come to your Nora. Hush, Nora, Nora. He'll be here in a minute. I'll bring him to you, if you'll only be quiet. Honest to God, I will. Merciful God, I'm shot. I'm shot. I'm shot. The life's pouring out of me. I've got this through, through you. Through you, you bitch, you. Oh, God of mercy on me. You wouldn't stop quiet. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't blast you. Look at what I'm after getting. Look at what I'm after getting. I'm bleeding to death and no one's here to stop the flowing blood. Mrs. Gogan, Mrs. Gogan, Fluter. Fluter, for God's sake, somebody, a doctor, a doctor. I'm frightened. I'm frightened, Jack. Oh, Jack, where are you? This is what's after coming on me, nursing you day and night. I was a fool. A fool. A fool. Get me a drink of water, you jade, will you? There's a fire burning in me blood. Nora, Nora, dear, for God's sake, run out and get Mrs. Cogan or Fluter or somebody to bring a doctor. Quick, quick, quick. Blast you. Store yourself before I'm gone. Jack, Jack, where are you? Jesus Christ, my sight's gone. It's all dark. Jack, Nora, hold me hand. I'm dying. I'm dying. I feel it. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
I do believe, I will believe, that Jesus died for me. That on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. I do believe, I will believe, that Jesus died me that cross he shed his blood from sin free okay well listen that's the end of the programme I just want to say thank you to everybody for coming along today and thanks for all your contributions and thanks Geraldine for arranging it as well and um, best of luck with the exam Thanks thank, very you very much. Much. thank you very much. Thank you. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.